Hey everyone, welcome to the Planned, Prepped, and Productive Podcast. I'm your host, Amanda Spackman, registered dietitian and mom of three, and believer in peaceful, easy, but also homemade family meals. On this podcast, I'm helping moms master mealtime and become the boss of their kitchen. As you do this, you'll find more peaceful meals through prep and planning. We will do this by focusing on four pillars for making mealtime manageable, doable, and if you give it a chance, maybe even fun. The four pillars are mindset and self-care, planning and organization, meal planning, and meal prep. This is episode number 98, starting your journey toward mindful eating. Hey everyone, welcome to the podcast today. I am thrilled to introduce you to my guest, Sally Ann Pisk of Eating For You. So Sally Ann has worked in health for 30 years as a practitioner, a researcher, and a manager. She's an accredited practicing dietitian, mindfulness practitioner, and author. And for the past 10 years, she's been devoted to helping women transform their eating mindset and relationship with food. Over her career, she's presented at health conferences and participated in over 200 radio interviews, including Talk Back. She is a health and well-being presenter for the new Feisty, Fabulous, and 50-plus community radio program and podcast. Sally Ann founded Eating For You, an online business to help women reclaim themselves and their lives through mindful eating and living. The Eating For You approach is based on scientific research, Eastern nutrition, and Sally Ann's own experiences of transitioning from dieting to mindful eating herself as she realized that healthy eating wasn't meant to be so hard. Sally Ann has a private community of over 2,000 members. So with that, let me just go ahead and tell you a little bit about this conversation that we had so you know what you're getting into before we dive in. The topic is mindful eating, and we are going to dive into some really interesting conversations, including the drivers for eating, what makes us eat, um, and why and how those drivers make it so that every time we make a health or nutrition goal, um, it might not stick the way we want it to. Um, but we're not going to stop there. Sally Ann's also going to walk us through how to begin a mindful eating practice and kind of discuss how this can transform your relationship with food um, and get you to a point where you are eating in the way that is best for you and your body and your physical and mental health. This episode was really, really fascinating to me, and I honestly took a lot of takeaways for myself, and it helped me understand uh, reasons why goals or habits I've tried to change in the past just haven't really stuck. Um, as well as giving me some ideas of things to try in the future. And so I'm so excited to dive into this episode. And without further ado, let's dive right in. All right, everyone, welcome to the podcast today. I'm so excited to introduce you to my guest. We have Sally Ann Pisk of Eating For You. And I'll drop a link to that specific website in the show notes. But welcome, Sally Ann. Thanks, Amanda. It's great to be here. Yes, we're so happy to hear from you. So can you go ahead and start out by just telling us in your own words, your bio has already been played, but can you just tell us a little in your own words about exactly who you are and what it is that you do? Yes, yes, sure. Um, 
Well, first of all, I'd just like to let you know that uh, I live about two hours um, west of Sydney in Australia, and I have learned so much about food and eating and health by having a small fruit orchard and growing our own food. It's a totally different experience. So for anyone, even if you're growing a pot plant of herbs, you know, it's just a wonderful experience if you're able to do that. But my interest in food, nutrition and health started uh, when I was a teenager. And like many ladies get caught up um, along the way with dieting and so forth. And I thought, no, there's got to be a better way. So that was always my aim moving into nutrition and dietetics was to say, okay, let's do this, this better. And through my own journey um, and with, you know, going with my, my clients as well, um, that's how the eating for you approach came together. It's very much a mindfulness-based approach to eating and living. And most importantly, allowing the ladies that I work with to, to take control of their eating, but in a very kind and compassionate way. Yes, I am so, so excited to dig into this topic uh, for you, my audience, but also for me, uh, even with a background in nutrition and dietetics, because I feel like this is a really difficult balance to strike. And I feel like today we almost have this kind of battle going on between like the diet industry, diet mentality and, um, intuitive eating and the beauty at every size mo movements. And I think there's validity to all of this, right? So where do we find how we can, where we fit in this really difficult food environment? And I think that can be really, really challenging. So I'm excited to dig into this topic more. I agree with um, what can sometimes seem extremes, you know, we've still got, you know, restrictive dieting out there, we've got um, health and beauty at every size, and then we've got, you know, intermittent fasting and all these other themes filtering through. And this is where I feel that a combination of nutrition plus mindful eating can actually find a way of eating for you and that's obviously where my business name came from it was like let's empower each other to eat in a way that's right for us as individuals yes and I completely agree with you and love that so can you just share a little bit you kind of already touched on this with your experience as you decided to study uh, nutrition and um, find a way like you said you got stuck in the diet mentality yourself when you were younger but what motivated you to start sharing this new way of eating that you've discovered with others yeah I think it was more um as I mentioned I started with that you know post teenagers into 20s the restrictive way of eating and I didn't even know that I was doing it Amanda and it wasn't until my brother died suddenly and I started a comfort eating habit and then all of a sudden I had experience of both ends of the spectrum in terms of eating. And I thought, gosh, you know, at this stage, I'd already had four years at university. And this was just before I had done my master's research. But it was like, you know, if I can't get this right, who can? And it was a really big turning point to, for me. And this is when I started on this process of mindfulness, not knowing that's what it was at the time and putting uh, the eating for you approach 
together. And that took quite a while, you know, just in and out of different works. You know, we were we moved from between New Zealand and Australia for work, and I had the opportunity to travel in India and Nepal and learn a little bit more about mindfulness from a practical sense and a traditional medicine sense. And it was just all building that I was actually putting this eating for you approach together. And so it would have been 2016, um, I started doing book tours with the Eating For You book. And that's when I really started on a larger level sharing uh, this message of uh, mindful eating and living. Yes, I love that. I love that story. And I think you touched on something really important that I, and I've experienced something similar, um, my audience, and I think you know that I'm a dietitian also. And for me, I went through all of my years of schooling and it wasn't until I would say probably after my third child that I really, I, I started dieting, I guess, in the more traditional sense, because I did have a more intuitive way and and felt like that was better, but suddenly I started struggling with my weight and I was like, Oh no, <laughs> this intuitive thing clearly isn't, isn't working. And I started to doubt myself and I didn't, I no longer trusted that that was, that that was the way anymore. And I think it's fascinating that even with, um, an extensive background, like you had, you still found yourself in a similar situation of like, wait, so how do we actually do this from a practical perspective? taking that not nutrition knowledge and making that work. So yeah. I think. Yeah. And, and look, it's challenging. And, and I know many of the ladies um, that I work with, uh, I work with ladies of all age, but often they've had decades of dieting experience before they get to me. And, <clears throat> and it's kind of that dilemma because on one hand, we can feel quite safe and secure with a meal plan or a diet program or a list of rules you know good and bad foods um, but it doesn't work and so when we first step away from those guidelines it's like oh my goodness what's going to happen <laughs> you know, what yes. is going to happen and you know for me um, just on a practical level I didn't know where my weight was going to end up because I had been you know um, quite light in my my weight, you know, for my height. And then I had, you know, got to the other end, um, uh, you know, beyond the healthy weight range. And it was like, where was I going to end up? You know, and you just, it's nearly like a, I can only explain it as a, a free fall, knowing that you're going to have a safe landing. There was just some reassurance with me that, yeah, I was going to get there. And, uh, uh, but for, for ladies that don't have the extensive um, evidence-based, you know, knowledge that we have as dietitians, it can be really daunting because there's just so much out there uh, on the internet and social media now. Absolutely. And you, you really brought something up that's, that's important that you're going from this place of having goal weights or goal, a, a goal physique to a place where you're kind of coming to just accept where your body lands through nutritious practices. This isn't something where we're, we're giving up on health, but that is, that is a scary thing because maybe that's not going to be where you want or where you expect it to be. And so it does require a lot of trust that it, you will come to the place that you are meant to be, that is healthy for your body and where you're supposed to be. Yeah, and, and it just reminds me, um, I sometimes share this story of a, a very wise older 
female friend of mine and she shared with me once when we were discussing all these issues that women go through um, with weight throughout their life and she shared a story of a, a friend of hers um, who she overheard talking to her young daughter and um, the daughter had been concerned about you know her body changing you know around puberty and so forth and and my friend said to me her friend just said it's so lovely the body you have today is one of the many bodies you are going to have through your lifetime and it still gives me sort of chills today because it's it's so true and especially as women you know we have the, the period of, you know, having children, we have the hormonal changes with that. And then we have the hormonal changes later on with perimenopause and menopause. And our body does change um, through throughout our age. And I thought, yeah, isn't that a beautiful message to give a younger person that you're not just one shape, one size, one weight, you are going to evolve during your lifetime. Absolutely. I love that. I kind of got chills as you said it as well. So that is such a powerful thought and idea. So thank you for that. So let's, I want to kind of dive in further to, to what your method actually is. I think that'll be really useful for my audience. Um, and I, I also just think particularly right now has been an incredible stressful few years. And I, I know that my body shape and size has been affected by that as well as my mental health. And I know that my audience is in the same boat, at least some of them. So that I know that there are just a lot of issues with stress and emotional eating out there. So can you share with my audience? And, and I know this might take a while, but what are the nine drivers for eating that will empower my audience to transform their stress eating and learn to enjoy food instead of feeling this anxiety? Yeah, I think what we might do, Amanda, is I'll run through the nine drivers um, and then we can dig into the ones um, that you feel um, are of most interest. Um, and Yes, I love that. Yeah, because what, what tends to happen, um, the nine drivers came about as being part of the Eating Few approach because I was looking at all these conflicting drivers or reasons for eating and also how sometimes our goals for health and well-being don't actually align with our food knowledge and skills or what we end up eating. And so it was just, this is just kind of like a, a visual um, to help understand those conflicts, but also how we can actually bring the drivers into alignment. And the drivers are different for everyone in terms of the ones that need to be brought into alignment. So the nine drivers are eating for health. That's often a goal uh, of the ladies coming to see me. Um, we eat in response to physical hunger, and that's obviously a necessity. It helps keep, keeps us alive. Um, we also have uh, ethical, cultural, spiritual types of considerations around why we eat or what we eat. We also have body image issues that can uh, definitely direct how we eat, as we've just shared. We also make choices based on our knowledge and skills, both from a practical food point of view, but also our belief system in terms of managing um, our, our beliefs that then later become our choices of what we eat. And then there's our preferences. And these preferences for food 
can be innate, you know, taste preferences. It can be preferences that have come through our family. Some of our preferences develop because we've been denied these foods in the past. Then there's also eating for pleasure. And I would just hope everybody has some pleasure when they're eating their food. But for some people, that can become the overriding driver. So health could fall away. You could eat beyond satiety, for example. There's also the driver that we tend to term as emotional eating. And that could be eating in terms of relation to stress, um, to boredom, to rewarding ourselves um, and other emotions that we experience. And then to top it all off, we have this drive to eat um, for convenience and especially, you know, busy families, you know, multitasking, doing lots of different um, roles in, in the world as women do, then convenience is um, something that we uh, grapple with as well. And this is why I love your podcast, Amanda. You're all about, you know, streamlining this um, production of wonderful, nutritious foods. So that's a summary of the nine drivers. And as I said before I shared them, the idea is to align those drivers so you are working towards your health and wellbeing goals. Wow, that was really powerful to just hear all of those reasons so concisely wrapped up. And I think just hearing that alone is enlightening in and of itself, because suddenly you can understand really clearly why why dieting doesn't work, right? Why you, because it's like, you're only following one or potentially two of the drivers and ignoring the other eight. And so obviously that's going to send you out of balance a lot. And I don't know that there was one particular driver that, that stood out to me, but I would just love to know more about how do we find a balance of all of these things? Because they are all important. And I think I mean, for me, the one that sticks out the most is that I, and honestly, a big reason for me starting this podcast, but I still fall into this is that I am a big time convenience eater where I'm honestly, most of the time would prefer a nutritious, healthy, put together meal. And I think many people are like that, but if I'm hungry, so I guess a mix of convenience and the physical hunger is what determines what I eat so much of the time. So I guess those stood out to me, but how do we kind of find and find alignment with all of these things? Yeah. And, and that's a great question. And for each of us, as you've just pointed out, you know, for yourself, it's, it's the, the hunger driver and the convenience and what can happen with ladies, you know, that I work with, they may actually start on, that convenience driver as a starting place and it makes sense we have to have a, a range of foods available to eat that are going to nourish us and and so if we do have those you know quick go-to you know fresh foods nuts you know healthy snacks that are there to to back us up when we can't perhaps sit down and have a proper meal um that's the way to go, but it, it does take planning. And again, this is what you're encouraging um, in your own podcast. And we, we don't get it right all the time, but it's that concept of 
having food available, not setting the bar too high. And it's about what's achievable for you. And very much with women of any age, a big area that I work in, and it crosses really nicely with this convenience driver, is taking time for ourselves. Um, one lady that I have worked with, her, she didn't realise for the first couple of months why she wasn't making the progress she wanted and she realised that she wasn't making time for herself. Um, so that fits very much in with that, you know, convenience situation and that's what she was finding is that she was just grabbing whatever was available because she wasn't making the time to look after herself and it wasn't till her diabetes started giving her some problems in terms of the blood sugars going up that she retook, you know, stock and, the other thing with food I'm finding, Amanda, sorry, just sidestep, is that our expectations about what we have to prepare. I know in Australia there's so many food shows on TV, but it's just keeping it really simple, batch cooking when you can, and then having some really quick meals. And certainly as, as soon as your children are old enough, teaching them to help you do the meals. Um, I remember one dietitian here in Australia, Rosemary Stanton, how proudly she would tell us at conferences that she could work all day, go home, and her children had made a meal for her. So <laughs> it's something we can all aspire for, that's for sure. Yes, for sure. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so we definitely have to have the food available. Um, but it's, it's also just checking in with, well, just say my health is important and um, and, and having a different body size after having children is not uncommon. You know, it's, it's quite natural. And knowing how to align uh, your goal to feel healthier and uh, more comfortable in your body um, then has to start looking at, well, what do I need to do? What do I need to do to support myself um, with making these changes to what food's available, but perhaps also taking care of myself, you know, which can be a mindset component there, thinking about, well, how can I make time for me? And also looking at what can happen with the emotions, especially after, you know, hormonal changes of having children. Um, and it's like, well, what is actually driving my eating? You know, is it hunger or is it something else? Um, that we work at and and certainly learning the hunger driver i often talk about the hunger driver and the health driver being the gatekeepers to the others if we can really know when we're physically hungry and as much as possible eat at those times in the day that align with us then everything else starts to fall into place unless of course at some point in our life as i did after my brother died that we develop a non-hunger or an emotional eating habit. And that needs to be looked at separately. Yes. And I, and I want to dive into that emotional eating for sure. I, I have one more question that I'm just curious because as you, you're talking, this is what I find happening in my own brain is that how do you feel like the drivers work together? Do you feel like as you work on one that maybe you discover issues in another, because as an example that you, I kind of outlined what I thought was a struggle for me, but then is sometimes the idea of taking the time for me and preparing is even that is scary. And I find myself at times skipping breakfast, for example, and, uh, and 
the diet mentality creeps in and I'm like, oh, but that's a good thing that you just didn't eat as much today, you know, like, so then I'm like, oh, I didn't think that was the issue. But as I started working on this, then I'm like, oh, I'm actually afraid to eat breakfast, it turns out. So I prepared it. And now I feel like shame around that. Yeah, yeah. And um, thanks for sharing that. Because you're quite right, just to answer your first question, when um, I work with ladies, um, some of them, uh, and I learned this early on with the, the, the program that I'm currently running, is that to warn them, because some ladies will look at the nine drivers and say, they all impact on me. Where do I start? You know, where do I start? And if if food planning and taking time for that is an issue, we start there. And you're quite right. Once that kind of gets in place, the next driver that needs to be worked on becomes relevant. So if it's around um, a, a mindset, emotional type component in terms of responding to having to restrict food say for example and skip breakfast then we would move on to that and start looking at well let's start digging a little bit deeper and seeing what food rules what beliefs are, are driving you uh, to eat in a way that is not say supporting your health or going against your actual physical hunger driver um, which can happen as well and if we think about dieting that was kind of, you know, oh, well, I need the willpower to get through the hunger. Um, but I, I kind of align with some of the intermittent fasting advice, uh, although I like my ladies to personalize it. And so looking at the evidence saying, well, okay, if I was to stop eating around 6, 7 p.m. at night, when would I next feel hungry? Yes, I love that. And I, and I found that same thing where I, I try, I, I, this is a process obviously, but I'm trying to change that mentality of like, you don't have to eat breakfast. That's not something you should be force feeding yourself. However, it also shouldn't be like a pat on the back that you stomach through all the way till 2 PM, just because you were too busy to take the time to sit down. So I do think that that is so interesting. And I really want to dive into this emotional and stress eating idea um, and just learn more because there are so many factors and components that come into emotional eating. And it also feels like you're on a roller coaster with food. Like at times you feel like you're in a good place and then you feel like you're in the bad place. You have shared with me that you have one simple and powerful mindset switch that can kind of take care of that problem. And I'm so excited to hear what that is. So can you share that with us and how that works? Yes. Okay. So the, the fundamental switch that we have to make is that we stop looking at food. And if you think about all the diet programs, even when we're planning our day, which we have to, uh, you can't take food out of the equation. We need to eat. But where our focus needs to be is on the actual eating habit. What's actually uh, you know, causing us to think that we have to skip breakfast? What's causing us to reach for the chocolate bar at night or the crisps during the afternoon? What, what's actually happening in that moment? And so this is where the mindfulness practice helps us with that switch because mindfulness through its definition is about observation, not judgment. 
And one thing, Amanda, that I have found really useful just in the last handful of months working with my ladies is the element of curiosity. And this is not often discussed in mindfulness practices. We talk about non-judgment, but what does that really mean and how do we achieve it? Um, because, you know, as you said, we're always saying to ourselves, oh, I'm so good, I, I skipped breakfast, I ate less, and that's a judgment. You know, that's, but, so what, what does mm-hmm. non-judgment mean? So curiosity comes in um, when we look at, well, what's happening? Just say it's, just say it's, you know, the bag of crisps in the afternoon. What's actually happening in that moment? What, what is, you know, really happening? And, you know, you might find that it's happening partially because it's an emotional eating habit, or maybe you're actually hungry because what you had for lunch didn't sustain you for long enough. Um, Maybe you identify that you're eating that bag of crisps because that was the comfort food that you were given when you were younger and you have made that association. And all of these habits we develop, they've had value at some time in our life, but they may no longer serve us uh, in the way that they used to. They may actually have what I call past their use-by date. So it's a matter of looking at, well, what is the reason for eating? And where the curiosity comes in is digging into understanding why we have the habit. And even if we don't know why we have the habit, we move on to, well, what would happen if I ate something different at lunchtime? What would happen when I go to get that big bag of crisps out of the cupboard? I just put a handful in a bowl and then went and sat down. What would happen if I decided to say, yes, I can have chips and I'm going to have them at this time of the day. So what I'm I'm really sharing here is don't think there's just one option. You know, often the option has been, I can or can't have that food. I can or can't eat between meals rather than becoming curious and just testing out different things for ourselves. Does that make sense? Yes, absolutely. And I think um, this is something that I've been working on more from actually not a food perspective, but um, just a mindfulness, emotional perspective anyway, that sometimes you notice these feelings arising in you and you have a few options. Like you said, you can you can tell yourself not to have those thoughts, tell yourself to, you know, buckle up and, or you can um, not judge. You can say, it's okay that I feel this way, but the power kind of comes in right. Like where you said is in asking yourself, why, why is it that I feel this way without judgment? Why do I want this snack? Why is this food so triggering to me? Um, And then figuring out, like you said, for you, what that means as far as how to move forward. I think that's very powerful. Yeah. So mindfulness can be used in a very practical sense. And, And what I find is that until we pay attention, until we become mindful, we may not know why we have that particular habit. And for some ladies they may never know why they have that habit but we work with the fact that that habit doesn't work for them anymore Um, but normally we do uncover a belief around that particular habit and by belief it might be um, 
you know, I eat chips because they're a reward for me. I eat chips because um, I can, you know, and it's and it's kind of the rebel in us saying, well, you know, on the diet plan, I couldn't have potato crisps, but I can. And so we just work with those individual differences and move forward from that. Sometimes it's because, you know, crisps were the special treat once a week or whatever from our childhood and our childhood link with our food is quite strong um, but we're not often aware of uh, those links especially if they're much younger in our childhood yeah so I love I love this idea so we've talked about getting curious uh, and kind of discovering the reasons behind why you eat you also talked about trying on different different things like putting the crisps in a bowl or something what would you say after you've kind of discovered maybe what your particular reason is for um, emotional eating what what's the next step from there yeah the the next step is to really start challenging that reason because if the reason just say for example um, the reason for having the chips in the afternoon is a reward to yourself and then we just start challenging that looking at it saying well how valid is that you know we we can challenge these beliefs just because we have them doesn't mean they're a hundred percent true and if we're working towards uh, feeling healthier and uh, more vital and, you know, nourishing ourselves, then we can start saying to ourselves, well, that those chips really aren't a reward. But what tends to happen when part of the, the, the mindful eating practice is actually eating with attention? So, you know, not watching TV, not scrolling through social media, um, if you're having the chips, you know, we, we don't take away the chips, but it's a matter of saying, okay, we'll have the chips. And then just seeing if they really give you what you want. And this is very much a, a self-exploratory, you know, sort of process. But many ladies will say to me, you know what, Sally-Ann, those crisps or those crackers or those biscuits I used to have, you know what, I realized I didn't even like the taste. But because they had just nearly been like an automatic pilot sort of habit, they've never really, you know, they had never, the ladies had never really assessed whether that reward was fulfilling their need for a reward. And so there's many components to this, Amanda, as you, as you work through it. And, and as I said, people are going to come into it differently. But certainly the first step is eating without distraction, observing it, and then if the reward is not stacking up, which basically 10 out of 10 times, we, we know it's not because we go back to the drivers for eating and say, well, I have this emotional eating habit of eating the chips, you know, in the afternoon. Um, but, you know, I'm really looking after my health. You know, there's a, no alignment here. You know, they're, they're going head to head, you know, uh, in a non-productive way. So, when that we when we know that when we know this this habit is not serving our goal for for health and happiness and freedom from worries about food, uh, we start challenging and and we start looking at well, you know where did this reward come from and we start breaking it down. We look at the the cost of the reward. We look at the damage that that belief is having on us, 
and we work towards creating a new belief uh, which is very personal to that person um, changing their belief because if we don't change that belief that belief is going to still fuel that desire to have the potato crisps in the afternoon yeah absolutely i love that idea and i i feel like i could definitely use that in my own life and i think i find it really fascinating that you discussed um those drivers from childhood because i have so many foods that i wonder why are still so appealing to me but i they are and i it seems like and i don't know what your experience with this is that when mentally and mentally and emotionally i'm in a healthy state that i am that i want to maintain the habits that I've worked to create as an adult. But as um, my state of stress slips, that's when I find myself almost reverting to those childlike desires as well. Yeah. yeah. Oh, we've got to understand these are strong. And so when we find a belief about food uh, that's underlying a comfort or an emotional eating habit, then it, it takes practice, you know, the, just because we acknowledge that we have a belief that the crisps are a reward or the crisps are com comforting and take our worries away, just because we acknowledge that that belief doesn't work for us doesn't mean that it goes away um, totally, you know, it, it, we have to rewire ourselves uh, with our new belief that, that we form. And I think it's important to uh, as I said right from the beginning too about emotional eating is that we understand that that when food was given to us as a child to comfort us it was given with good intention and that's what we're drawing on as well um, our, our parents you know didn't you know didn't have a rule book you don't for your children as as well you know we don't have rule books for other people how they're going to eat and I think this is something else we we have to realize um, I was only reflecting on something the other day and I'm thinking, why is it that people feel like they should know how to eat, yet we couldn't read or write unless we were taught, but we accept that that's a skill that we had to be taught. And if we think about, uh, you know, because I have these conversations with my mum, you know, because I grew up and you had to eat everything on your plate, you had to eat everything before you could have dessert so basically by the time you were 10 you know you'd learnt to overeat because you wanted to have dessert and you know my mum didn't do that to harm me you know right but, you know she was trying to look after me and I, I often say to her you know in a fun way I said mum how did you know how much I needed to eat she said I didn't and I said yeah but you used to make us sit there and eat everything on our plate you know and and it kind of yeah, I, I don't know. I, I don't think when it comes to food and bodies that we realize we're not dissimilar to a motor car. You know, a, a fuel tank can only take so much fuel. And likewise with, with our stomachs, with our body. Um, yeah, so it's just, it's just, I'm just sharing that to help everyone reflect on, yeah, this, this journey with food is really interesting. And many people by the time we're 10, have influenced uh, our thoughts about food and, and how we eat. Absolutely. And I love just that you use the word practice, which um, I don't know everything about mindfulness. I have studied it a little bit, but I think that's, it's often called mindfulness practice. And I think that really, really changes 
that just that word alone changes your mindset about what your eating journey is supposed to look like. Suddenly it's not this, this diet that you failed at time and time again, it's a skill that you are learning and practicing and that will become more habitual with time as you practice, just like any other skill that you learn. And I think that's really, really powerful. I love that. Yeah. And I think, I think part of the issue that I find is that like going back, I said, you know, we wouldn't even consider not being taught to read or write or to learn a new language. We, we know that we have to be taught to do that. And it's this expectation that we feel as adults, having never really been taught how to feed ourselves and nourish ourselves, that we should know how to do it. And it's kind of like, I'm just saying, give yourself permission to relearn. Um, and, you know, don't throw everything out, obviously, that you know about food, nutrition, enjoyment. Um, but just say, yeah, I, I can take a, a totally different look at this. And the idea of practicing with mindfulness is, is with great patience and kindness and our goal in terms of progress changes. And this is why uh, whenever I'm working with a lady, it's very much we just work on one thing at a time because once you get confident changing one habit or one belief, um, we can move on to the next one with uh, great confidence and motivation. Absolutely. And I think um, that just reminds me of the idea in um, The Power of Habit I can't remember the author off the top of my head, but I'll drop it in the show notes. But he just talks about certain habits um, kind of acting as like a catalyst for new habits to form. And so I think that you'll start to see that happen, especially as you're starting out. These first changes will feel really big. But as you get good at changing mindsets and changing habits, you'll start to see yourself able to unravel other things quicker as you move forward yeah and it, it's really interesting one thing that I'm not convinced about with um, the literature around habit formation is that I tend to see the practice of mindfulness as being the habit not the actual choices that we end up making. And don't get me wrong, I'm not saying every day we wake up and think we're going to eat totally differently than what we did yesterday. It's more like, well, if I'm more active today, I'm going to eat more than what I did yesterday. If I happen to have a late evening meal tonight, then it's possible I'm not going to feel like breakfast tomorrow because I ate later than what I normally do. And so this is where the practice of mindfulness around choosing to eat what we eat, how much we feel like eating can vary from day to day versus, you know, that dieting, you know, meal plan kind of concept where you eat the same thing for breakfast, lunch and dinner every day. Um, that kind of doesn't work uh, with a mindfulness approach. Absolutely. I love that. And I love just that permission. And I, and I love the point here too, that, that mindfulness is the habit and, and it's a tool that then you can use to accomplish other things that you would like to accomplish because ultimately the thing that you are 
learning is how to practice mindfulness. And that is in turn affecting all of the choices that you're making. So I think that's a really oh, valuable insight. Oh, yeah, definitely. And from what I, the, the research literature on mindfulness, the way it practically helps us change our habits is creating that pause before we launch into the kitchen to the cupboard to get that bag of crisps we actually pause and say well yeah am I you know do I feel like eating now am I actually really physically hungry or am I bored or am I stressed or yeah is it just a habit because I normally have that bag of crisps at three o'clock in the afternoon so it's that pausing between you know having a thought to act and actually acting. Yeah, so it seems almost like like the idea of mindfulness is to uh I don't want to say escape your habits, but sort of you almost don't want to be making your choices out of habit, but to take a step back to actually make that choice rather than letting your habits sort of dictate what you're doing. That's right. It's create. I, I see it too as creating space in that moment, literally the physical space, but also in our own mind, you know, before, you know, we grab another, you know, biscuit out of the jar or, you know, it could even be another handful of nuts. You know, it, it doesn't matter what it is. If we're eating something that we're not really physically hungry for, um, then it could be just a habit of, oh, yes, I'll take another handful. Um so it just gives us that space to say, well, do I really need this? Is this what I really need right now? Um, and the whole term of being nourished by food really came from the ladies in my community saying, you know, you know, two pieces of chocolate might nourish me, but the whole block makes me feel sick. Um, and so it's, it's playing with different, you know, foods and amounts of foods for them as individuals as well. Absolutely. And I, I love that throughout this episode, you have brought up that it might mean still eating the chocolate or still eating the crisps, that it can be nourishing. And one of your drivers of food, um, now I can't remember, but, but you, you need to eat for pleasure. That's what it was, so is to eat for pleasure so that if one or two chocolates is feeding that pleasure driver, that's completely valid and valuable. However, like you said, once we eat the entire block of chocolate, the entire bag of chips, suddenly that's no longer serving us. So I think it's wonderful that we're not, the idea of this is not to rethink all of your beliefs. Maybe, maybe you do think that chocolate is nourishing. Maybe that's a true belief, but it's the amount that needs to change, right? Yeah, and I, and I think this is where the mindfulness starts to uh, kind of creep into every cell of our being. And uh, I'm just thinking of what some of the ladies were sharing with me prior to Christmas, ladies who were working and going to Christmas functions, um, even because we come out of COVID lockdown prior to Christmas in Australia. So, you know, people were making the most of socialising and, and getting yes. out. <laughs> and um, it was interesting. They were saying that they realised that because you, know, you haven't been able to eat out so, for so much in some states of our country, um, that 
that they didn't actually feel nourished by foods. And so whilst, you know, a particular pasta dish or a pizza or something like that had been, you know, a treat or, you know, a favourite food or, you know, a go-to when you ate out, they said they actually didn't feel well. You know, they would wake up the next day and feel heavy, feel sluggish. They wouldn't have the energy that they normally would have when they'd had a meal for, for this, you know, these particular ladies that were high, you know, was high in salt and, and fat. And so you start redefining what pleasure means for you as well. So, you know, maybe just a couple of squares of, you know, slices of pizza with some salad um, rather than just having pizza on its own may actually still give you, yes, I like pizza, but I'm actually going to, you know, wake up feeling well and energised the next day. Um, so th these are kind of the individual learnings um, that you have when you start going along this pathway. It's about, again, coming back to that value of waking up in the morning as much as possible, feeling refreshed. And I know that can be challenging if you're getting up to children overnight, but it's kind of like you want to do as much as you can uh, to make sure you have the energy reserves there for your mind and body. Absolutely. And I think you, you brought something up here too, that I I'm curious your thoughts about, even as you, uh, said you, what your, uh, the women you were worked with went back out in after COVID lockdowns. And I wonder if a lot of us have experienced something like this and maybe go out with friends and you're eating a lot because you're socializing and it's exciting and, and maybe discovering, that the craving is not the pizza that they're going to eat, but the social interaction that they're going to have and asking ourselves whether at that party, if the food is really, if that's making it better or if it's not, and it's not something that we need. And Yeah, no, that's a great point because I actually did have some ladies saying that some of the functions they were going to, they didn't actually even like the food, but they felt, that they had to eat something um, because they were there. Um, and, and so again, it's this whole socialization about food, but you're definitely right. And this is where I love that word nourish because we are nourished by the people that we are with. We are nourished by the conversations. We are nourished if we're sitting outside in the sunshine, you know, uh, obviously not in very hot sunshine, but we're nourished if we're sitting in nature. Um, and so it's, it's that concept. And if we look at, you know, food, um, food is something ideally we do share with others. And it's part of that um, experience of feeling nourished is really the only word I can come up with. But mm -hmm. uh, it's, it's not just the food alone. It definitely is the company um, when you're with friends and laughing and enjoying and sharing. It's all part of uh, that meal, you know it all contributes. So you're quite right. Yes. So thank you. I feel like I I've learned a lot from you. I've definitely had my brain running this whole time, wondering how I can implement some of these ideas to my eating and continue my practice of, um, nutrition and mindfulness with eating and finding more and more peace and nourishment. So, one thing I like to ask every single person I have on the podcast is just what you feel like is the one takeaway from this conversation. What's the one thing you feel like 
members of my audience could start today to transform their own mindless eating to mindful eating? Yeah, I'm, I can say certainly take some time for yourself to check in to why you're eating. And if you want some practical guidance with this, I have an emotional eating triggers checklist um, that you can have access to at eatingchecklist.com. And that tool will allow you to focus in on one of those perhaps mindsets or beliefs uh, that are most common um, and start helping you sort of unravel that and break that down and reform it in a way that is actually going to support you in nourishing yourself. Thank you. And I appreciate you practiced as you preached right there and gave us one <laughs> actionable step to get started. And ladies and men, if you're listening, this is key is just allowing yourself to work on one thing at a time and it will be so powerful for you. All right. So you've been an incredible guest. Thank you for being here. Where can my audience go? You gave us the checklist, but where else can they go if they would like to learn more from you? Do you have any products, services, or programs available right now that could help my audience on their own mindful eating journey? Yes, thanks, Amanda. Um, my services are outlined on my main website, which is Eating for You which is one word, full words, eatingforyou.com.au. And uh, most welcome to join up to the Nourishment Newsletter, to, um, as I said, the Emotional Eating Triggers Checklist, and also there's the Eating For You book, and there's courses as well. Wonderful. And I will make sure that you have links to all of those right in the show notes so that it's easy. They're easy to find and you can go check out the stuff. I know I'm going to go do my own digging later as well. So thank you so much, Sally Ann, for being with us. Thank you, Amanda. It's been my pleasure. And um, I look here, look forward to hearing about everyone's journey with mindful eating. All right, my friends, I hope you enjoyed that conversation as much as I did. And I hope you grabbed some takeaways um, and maybe just a little bit of understanding as to why the diet industry, why weight loss, why all of this stuff is so confusing, why it can be so damaging. Um, but more importantly, hopefully you found some takeaways and ideas of things to try that maybe you actually haven't tried before, even if you feel like maybe you've tried all of the diets before. I hope you'll give something new that you learned in this episode a shot. Uh, next week on the podcast, we are going to talk about why it is that you hate cooking and what it is that you can do about that. So we're just going to kind of dive in and explore reasons why people hate cooking and see if we can come up with some solutions for those so that being in the kitchen is not as miserable for you if that's something that you relate to and so many women and moms do. So I'm excited to jump into that and I will see you next week.